Well, here at Oakwood Church, we've just started a series in Romans. Um, we only started last week, so if you weren't here last week, you haven't um, missed loads. But please do go and catch up on the podcast. Um, you can catch up on your podcast app on your phone um, or online via the website. So do keep up to date with our series if you've missed um, any of the weeks. Um, but please do grab your Bibles, and I'm just going to pray for Andy as he comes up to, to share God's word with us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for Andy and the way that you've been speaking to him this week through your words. Uh, thank you for the time that he's spent preparing this week. And Lord, I pray that you would use Andy now. Speak through him. Oh God, step forward from the pages of your words and into our hearts this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James. Great. Well, it's lovely to be here together this morning and reading the next bit of Romans. It might be that you're here for the first time today, as James has already said. So glad you're here and a part of the story this morning. And uh, we're going to be continuing um, in this next part of uh, Romans. Pete, if you could turn it. Oh, amazing. Good man. Thank you so much. In your Bibles, if you have one of the uh, church Bibles, it's page 1128. 1128. We'll put the words on the screen, hopefully, and, uh, and we'll also be able to follow it uh, in our Bibles if we've got them in front of us. It was lovely to see uh, Simeon and Gemma and family arriving. Do make sure you say hi to them. Um, here's, here she is, here's Gemma, right now on cue. And we're so glad you're with us this morning. Um, for those who don't know, they're serving in Mali. And we're going to be hearing later uh, this um, in a few days' time more about what they're doing there. But they're back here for a few weeks. And we're glad that they're visiting us here in Catrum. A big welcome. Well, we're looking then at Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 7b, that's like the second part of 7, down to the end of verse 13. So 7b, down to verse 13. We're going to read it, and then we're going to read it again more slowly. And that is really what the next 25 minutes or half an hour is going to be made up of. Let's read together. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can be opening your word together this morning. Thank you that you love each of us deeply, utterly, and that you want to draw us into your embrace this morning. You see where we're at. You see the struggles we've had this week, the questions we've had this week, the joys we've had this week. You see that some of us are walking with you, some are far away. This morning, you love each of us and you want to draw us to you. And we pray that your spirit would work among us with power to reveal you to us. That you, Lord Jesus, would be glorified as your grace fills and transforms our lives. We worship you this morning. Amen. If we could have the lights back on. I know, I know you're trying to decide whether people want to see the Bible or the screen, but we'll have the lights on if that's okay, and then uh, we'll kind of be able to see both, hopefully. Thanks so much. Well, this first phrase is one that echoes through all of the, uh, many of the epistles in the New Testament. And it begins by saying, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how many of the letters begin. And it's an interesting order. It starts by saying and speaking of grace. And then it says that this grace brings about something. I don't know whether you're familiar with the idea, with the idea of grace. If you were to read through Luke's gospel, you'd find time and time again hints of what grace is. There's a story of a father who has two sons and one of them says, dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me all your stuff. And he goes off to, and squanders the family treasure. And then as recession hits, he realizes that he's made the most dreadful mistake and he scrapes his way back to the father. And as everyone's listening to the story, they're saying, what will the father say to this son? And this father, he dashes towards his son, races towards his son and embraces his son. And right there, right here, is a picture of grace, of what grace is. Yesterday I was talking to a person who, uh, and he was telling me about karma. He was telling me about how what you do has its return. And if you do good, you'll receive good. And if you do bad, you'll, well, bad things will happen. But this, this word, this beautiful idea, this beautiful concept is something far greater and far higher. Because I know that if I do and then receive what I deserve, well, my future is bleak. And grace is what that son received. He receives the gift of the embrace of his father even when he doesn't deserve it. Later in Luke's gospel, there are two men in a story Jesus is telling and one of them is religious and good and goes to the right places and says the right things and there's another man who's a traitor and is a cheat. And the traitor and the cheat stands before God and collapses on his knees before God. And he says, forgive me, I don't have any rights to come to you. Because he glimpses something of God's grace. And the other man proudly stands in front of God and arrogantly says about how good he is. 
And Jesus points back into the story and he says, look, it's the one on his knees, the one who knows there's a God of grace who receives the embrace, not the other. I wonder which you might be this morning. The one who is thirsting for God's grace to be lavished on you because you know there's no other way that you could approach him or are you the person who's strutting into his presence saying, God, you, you owe me one, really. Later in Luke's gospel, there are two men and they're dying, three men dying on a cross. One of them is Jesus. One of them is a thief who turns to Jesus and says, remember me. And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, that thief could see that there's something of grace in, in what Jesus is doing. And he looks at Jesus the king and he says, remember me. And it's that man who has the certainty of being with Jesus And so all of these letters, so many of them, begin with this phrase, grace to you. But this grace is a grace that brings peace. A grace that brings peace. I've shown this picture to some of you before. I was driving through a place where war had broken this big area. And as I was driving, suddenly I saw this pink house. And this pink house had scratched on the wall in our language the same word, peace. And the person I imagined had scratched it on there longing for peace to come. A prayer. But the terrible thing about this pink house was that it was blown up and broken and this wall remained with this heart cry written on it for peace. I think so many of us are seeking peace, longing for peace, searching for that place where our fears and brokenness is somehow dissolved and carried away and we're searching out peace. But this phrase says that Peace only comes when we receive grace. Grace comes to the per- peace comes to the person who receives grace. And that is the theme of this letter that we're reading together. It's about a grace that brings peace, a, br- a grace that is from God who we can know as our Father, a grace that is from The Lord Jesus Christ, a grace that brings peace. And in this greeting, as this letter begins, and Paul is going to write about how this grace transforms his relationship with God, how it transforms his relationship with others, and how it transforms his his view of life itself. And we're going to read on And we're going to see how this transforms his view of God, of others, and of life itself. So in verse 8, he says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. Paul his heart 
and his stance towards God is one of a grateful heart. He is thankful. He is thankful to God through Jesus Christ. And he is thankful, as he's writing here, for the faith he sees in the lives of those in Rome. He is going to go on to explain that a person is right with God not because they do the right things. But a person is right with God because they simply believe that Jesus has died for them. Jesus has died in our place. Jesus has died to bring forgiveness to them. Jesus has died to bring them grace. That is what makes a person right before God. And so as he's hearing the news from Rome, he is saying how grateful to God he is for the faith he hears that they have. And this faith is being reported all over the world. One of the many evidences for the resurrection of Jesus is the way that the message of Jesus' resurrection echoed through the first century across the Roman Empire. And so here we are, we're reading a letter that's written about um, 23 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the news is echoing out of Rome that there are people there who are following Jesus. And we can read other documents from the first century that are from people who are fed up with this growing group of Christians who believe that Christ is God and who are living even to the point of laying down their lives because they say faith in Jesus, who's risen from the dead, is more important than anything else. So we can still read reports of their faith now that faith that is rippling out from Rome. It's being reported all over the world. And Paul, his stance towards God is one of a thankful heart as he hears the news from Rome of this growing group of people who are putting their trust in Jesus who has died and risen again and putting their faith in this grace that is lavished on those who call on his name. A grace that brings the peace that we long for. Let's read the next part. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you. The second element of the way that grace shapes Paul's heart towards God. Yes, he's thankful. But the second is that he serves. He's laying down his life for the God who has lavished his grace on him. And if you look carefully, you can see this strange phrase, God whom I serve in my spirit. And what he's saying is, if you want to dig down, drill down, excavate to the depths of my heart and see why I do what I do, it's because 
I'm serving the God who lavishes his grace on us. That is what motivates Paul. And as he's serving God, well, what does it look like? It looks like this. He speaks, he preaches Jesus. He preaches and points other people to the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. So the second thing that this heart shaped by grace, the way that his stance towards God is, it's one of thankfulness and it's one that is there to serve, to lay his life down for him. And that serving, well, it looks like this. He's living a life that points to Jesus. You know, as I was reading this over the last few weeks, I was thinking about my own life. My own motivation. Why do I do what I do? And I was questioning my own stance of heart regarding thankfulness. Am I a person who is looking to God and saying, thank you. Thank you for her faith, his faith, his example, her example to me. Thank you and listing things out with a thankful heart to God. Because if my heart is shaped by grace, then I'm going to have a thankful heart. I wonder about your heart, whether it's a heart that is shaped by grace, seen by a thankful heart, a heart that is responding with thanks to the God of heaven. And how about why we do what we do? Are we living to serve the God of heaven who's lavished his grace on us? If, if we have hearts that are shaped by grace, then we'll be thankful people. If we have hearts that are shaped by grace, then our hearts are going to be doing what we do because we want to serve the God of heaven. We're going to be pointing out and sharing his good news. He says this. This is verse 9. God whom I serve in my spirit in, in preaching the gospel of my son, of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you. So the third way that his heart is responding to the grace of God, yes, it's with thanks, yes, it's with service, but the third thing here is that he is praying. He is praying. And he is praying here that the way would be opened because he wants to be with the people there in Rome. He's praying the way would be opened that he would be able to come to them. This letter is being written while he is in Corinth. He's in Corinth. He's on the, he's on the road. And uh, he's wintering there in Corinth. And he's writing to the people there in Rome. That's why the book's called Romans. And, uh, but he is on his way in the opposite direction towards Jerusalem. 
But he's explaining the ark that he's longing for, this journey he hopes to make. He's heading down to Jerusalem, yes, but he wants to curve back again, and he wants to get, well, over to Spain eventually, but on the way, he wants to go through Rome and visit these people. And he's praying, it seems he prays every day, that he would be able to get to Rome to see these people whose faith is being shared across the world. Everyone's talking about the way their lives have been transformed by grace and he can't wait to share time with them he's praying the way would be opened for them to see each other and he explains now about why he wants to see them so let's have a look in verse 11 verse 11 And now we're getting hints about the way his heart has been changed by grace in the way that he relates to other people. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So he's explaining that he longs to see them Because he wants to share a spiritual gift with them. And of course, some of you who've perhaps read the Bible a little before will think spiritual gifts, I know there's whole chapters about that in Corinthians. Some are very spectacular and some are um, not so spectacular. But here he explains actually what he means in this context by spiritual gifts. It means something that would make them strong as they share together, that they'd be encouraged together by, you can see it there at the end of verse 11, by each other's faith. They are trusting in Jesus. He's trusting in Jesus. They want to get together and say, Jesus is faithful. This faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection in my place, has meant that grace has been lavished on me, has meant that I have peace with God, love for each other, and this has transformed everything. And he's looking forward to sitting down and sharing life with people there in Rome and saying together how faith in Jesus has changed everything. Because this will make them strong and encouraged. A person I was talking to yesterday talked about how their faith was really big and really strong. And how they were utterly convinced. I hear friends of mine who trust in Jesus saying, I really struggle. I sometimes am not sure. I've got questions. And I was comparing in my mind this person who was talking to me about their mighty faith in something very strange, actually. And some friends of mine who say, I've got just a little bit of faith, but God, please help my unbelief. But my faith is in Jesus. And as we talked last night, we talked about two climbers on a mountain. And their rope has broken. And the wind is howling. And it's they are just hanging on for dear life on a ledge. And there are two routes, it appears, out of this absolute catastrophe. One of them heads this way, one of the routes, and one heads the other way. 
And one of the climbers says, I know, I'm utterly convinced that if I go this way, I'm going to be fine. I'm so sure. And the other one says, I'm not really sure, but I'm f- I, th- I think it's probably this way. I'm going to put my trust in this way. And the two climbers, well, they take their opposite directions. And the confident one, who goes, I know exactly, this is the one. And he steps off this way. And the rock collapses and he tumbles down the cliff. It's a catastrophe. The other one, he tentatively moves his weight in the other direction. And the rock holds and he continues on his way. And he's saved. And we were saying to each other last night, well, perhaps it's not about the strength and the power and the utter conviction that a person has. But actually, it's about what it is that your faith is in or who your faith is in. And the climber who had the absolute conviction and certainty in the wrong thing fell down the mountain. His strength of faith didn't keep him safe. The other one, who had a bit of shaky faith but said, I'm going to put it in this direction, he held up and he carried on. Because the object of his faith was the right direction. And you and me, we're called to put our faith in Jesus Because he's the one who's died and rose again. And it's not about the strength and the power of your faith. But it's about the object of your faith. The one in whom you put your faith. And this morning, God is calling us to put our trust in Jesus. He's the only one who can hold us up. He's the only one who is the way out of the predicament. The way to safety. The way to peace. The way to peace with God. And these Romans, they had put their faith in Jesus, the one who can take our weight. And as they share their stories together in Paul's projection of what's going to happen, I can't wait to see you. So we're going to share our faith and we're going to be mutually encouraged and strengthened. You see, as he looks at his brothers and sisters, as he looks at others, you know, because his heart is shaped by grace, he longs that they would be strong. He longs that they would be encouraged. Another good test or analysis of your heart is your attitude towards others who are trusting Jesus. Are you longing for their strengthening and their encouraging? Because if you are, then that is a sign that your heart is shaped by grace through faith in Jesus. But if you are full of bitterness, and if you're longing that people's lives would, would, well, they'd be seen for who they really are, the charlatans. If that's kind of the thing that's echoing in your heart as you lie down in bed when your mind is freewheeling, then perhaps we need to come again to Jesus. Perhaps we need to come again to allow His grace to really shape our hearts. It's a good sign of whether your heart is really changed by grace or not. Your heart towards others who love Jesus. Are you longing that they would be strong and strengthened and encouraged. 
Let's read a little bit more together. This is verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I feel this is about life, you know. How are your plans going? Well, let's see how Paul's plans are going. So he is planning to get to Rome. But he is aware that he's been prevented from doing so. And he doesn't expand on that at this point. He's been prevented from from getting to the Romans, getting to visit Rome. But he's longing to get there because he wants to see people come to know Jesus there. Others come to know Jesus there too. But he's saying... Well, I'm pretty sure that now the way's opening up. I've just got one more job, and then I'm on my way. I'm going to get down to uh, Jerusalem. Let's get that map up again and, uh, and make my way over there. And uh, then once I've finished there, I'm on my way. And in chapter 15, we heard it last week, I'm on my way to Spain. I'm going to pop in on the way, and, uh, and then I'll carry on to Spain. You can help me carry on. But Paul, he doesn't know the start of it. The, pre, the, the uh, ways that he's been prevented from getting to Rome, they're even going to get bigger. Because he's going to get to Jerusalem, and then he's going to be arrested. There's going to be a plot to take his life. We read all this in Acts, recorded by the doctor and historian Luke. He's going to be arrested. He's gonna, there's going to be a plot against his life. Then he's going to be taken off to this place just a little way north of Jerusalem. And he's going to be locked up in prison for over two years. He's not going to move. He's going to have maybe two significant conversations in that time. As he is on trial twice. Then he's going to get on a ship. And this ship is going to make its way across the Mediterranean. And it's going to be, he's going to be shipwrecked on Malta. Then he's going to be bitten by a snake everyone's going to think he's going to die then there's going to be great um, turning to, to Jesus in Malta and then finally as a prisoner in chains he's going to arrive in Rome so Paul feels that so far here I am in Corinth and I've been stopped from doing what I'm planning to do I'm sure it's God's will that I get to you but I haven't got to you yet but we know the rest of the story He hasn't been through the half of it yet. He's going to face death. He's going to face shipwrecks. Absolute nightmares. There's going to be points again and again when it looks like he's never going to make it. Before he finally arrives in Rome. Not a free man on his way to Spain. But somebody in chains who could possibly be condemned to death very shortly. And so here's Paul, halfway through the story. He's reflecting on his life, his plans, the way things that get prevented, but the way that underneath it all he's longing for a harvest. You know, this very circuitous route to Rome, his goal, is actually going to bring enormous blessing to, well, to the rest of the world. It's not what he would have chosen, 
But God, who is sovereign, is working his plans out. And I wonder what Paul would have said years after he wrote this if we were among the Roman Christians and we went to see him there in Rome. Whether we would say, Paul, bit of a bit of a dodgy trip you had to get here, bit of an unexpected journey. Paul, I'm sure, would have said, look, God is sovereign. I had my plans. He's prevented me because he had his purpose to bring the greatest harvest. I wonder how you're doing this week. I wonder about all the plans and to-do lists, perhaps your five-year plans that you've made, or your 10-year purposes, or that relationship that was going to be like this, and then it was going to end up in this, and then this was going to happen. Well, Paul knew the disappointment of things not going to his plan. But he was aware of the sovereignty of God. And he said, look, it was God who prevented me because God had a greater purpose for harvest. And I think there's two ways of that harvest. One is in the depths of our own souls as God shapes the unexpected, the surprising, the lumpy journey, those diversions that we hadn't intended. He he uses those to shape our own hearts, to do something glorious and something good, to have a harvest um, in us. But also, he uses those to have a harvest in the lives of those around us. I've got a dear friend whose whose daughter died. And all his life, he'd been praying for his father, and his daughter died. And his father, who hadn't yet trusted Jesus, watched this friend of mine through this absolute tragedy and nightmare... And after a number of years, he started to trust in Jesus. And he said to my friend, you know, the reason I've put my trust in Jesus is because I watched your life through that utter tragedy and I saw that your hope is in something that is solid, in a person that is strong. And I saw the authenticity of it. And my friend realizes that if he hadn't been through the nightmare, the closed doors, the tragedy of that, well, his father, who he loved with all his heart, would never have come to put his trust in the Jesus with whom his daughter is now spending eternity, with whom he will be too. So Paul's view of life is very different. He has this view of life that is shaped by grace, that brings peace. And as he views his life, he makes plans, but he realizes there's a sovereign God who has a hand on his life. And he realizes that this sovereign God is leading everything for his glory, for his purpose to bring harvest. You know, we could scroll back up through the passage and we began together with this phrase, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the headline of our conversation today here in Romans chapter 1. But it's the headline of this whole book that we're studying these next weeks. It's actually the headline of the Bible, it's the headline of the character of God himself. It's what we want to be about here at Oak Hall Church, the grace of God. 
the grace of God, that's the unconditional pouring out of his love on those who don't deserve it. A grace that is expressed to us in his kindness in Jesus who died on a cross to take our wrongness so that we could be forgiven. To bring us peace with God and peace with each other. And as we are those whose lives are shaped by grace, then we'll be those whose heart's stance towards God is one of thankfulness. We'll be wanting to serve him. We'll be those who speak to him, who pray to him. Our heart's stance towards each other will be one where we're longing for each other to be strong and encouraged as we share this, our faith in Jesus together. And our view of our lives will be very different. Because yes, we'll plan, but we'll be aware of the God who for his glory and, his, and our good prevents and guides in his sovereignty to bring a harvest. So as we close this morning, our question to each other, I think, is, am I a person who is relying on Jesus who's calling on his name, who's trusting that he died in my place. For some of us, we'll know we've never put our trust in him before. And this morning, the Holy Spirit here is saying to you and calling you to put your trust personally in Jesus. He died for you. He took your wrongness so that you could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that you could have new life. And this morning, he's calling you to trust, tentatively step over and put your trust in Jesus. And others of us, well, he's calling us to come back to that life of grace, of trusting in the Jesus who's died in our place, allowing that grace to bring us peace, a grace that shapes our heart towards God, towards each other, and towards this life that we're pacing through. Let's pray together before um, the band come and James comes to lead us in the last part of our morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can read this small part of this letter this morning. We thank you for your grace that brings peace. A grace that is from God, our Heavenly Father. A grace that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, if there's any of us here this morning who haven't yet put our trust in your grace, move our hearts to that place where we say, Jesus, you are the Lord. I put my trust in you. I believe that you rose from the dead so that I could receive this forgiveness, this grace lavished on me. And others of us, as we think about our heart towards you, as we think about our heart towards each other, towards our lives, we're seeing that so much our lives aren't shaped by grace. And we pray this morning that you'd tune our hearts, change our hearts, so that we'd be those who are thankful, those who are serving, those who are praying, those who are longing for each other to be encouraged, those who are viewing our lives as one that is under your sovereign, lives that are under your sovereign hand. Let us be aware and deeply changed and transformed by your grace 
that brings peace. We worship you this morning and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.